Oh, there you go. Well, here we are uh, it, in this whole thing. Several people asked me, does that bother you? Just Brad up there. We you know, I don't know. I just, you know. We just thought that was kind of clever that we were going to do these standalone teachings. Last week was just Jordan. I highly recommend you going back and catching that on video if you haven't seen it yet. But we just said, hey, let's just talk about something that's kind of uh, we're passionate about. And um, here's the thing. Jordan's gotten so clever as of late when he gets up here and teaches. And he talks about, you know, hey, I titled my message this, you know. And I thought, that's really cool. You know, he, he thinks about it and titles his messages. So honestly, for the last several months, I've been thinking about well, trying to find this title. And every, either I'm not sharp enough or I don't know what it is. You know, when I grow up, I want to be just like Jordan. And, uh, and so, so I'm thinking, I, I want to title these messages, but I can never come up with a title. Except for today. I actually have a title today. The title today of this message is called More Than a Label. More than a label. And I don't know if you really know what labels are. Let me just tell you. A label is a word used to group people together based on a perceived or held identity. Identity. In other words, you know, if they, if they belong to something, they do a lot of something, you, you give them a word. How many people here know what a Swifty is? Okay. That is not a Swifter. Okay. It's not one of those dusting things. I don't know why I knew this, but, but it's someone who actually listens to Taylor Swift's music and, and follows her and what have you. Uh, Trevor is a Swifty. He, for some reason, he likes them. You know, that means nothing to me whatsoever. How about Deadhead? Anybody know what a Deadhead is? Uh, see, now we got some hands. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's my generation. People who followed the Grateful Dead, they'd go to all their concerts, you know, they did things they shouldn't have been doing and things like that. But it was part of, and that was, that was part of their label. You know, they were associated with that group of people. And so I'm sitting in the office and talking with all the staff and saying, you know, I'm talking about labels. What are some of the labels? And we had some hard time coming up with labels, but we did come up with some. You know, a bookworm, you probably all know what a bookworm, there's probably some bookworms out here out here. You know, there's um, worry warts, you know, people who worry, worry a lot. There's, uh, Kim actually came up with this one, a nerd and a geek. I don't know why she came up with that one. And she said there's a distinct difference between a nerd and a geek. I did not ask, or you may want to ask her afterwards, you know, what is the actual difference? I'm, apparently she knows that without a doubt. Uh, we came up with this, foodie. You know what a foodie is? You know, people who like to go to restaurants and try different kinds of foods, these exotic things and what have you. I'm not one of those people. I can tell you whatever restaurant I go to, I know exactly what I'm going to order. I'm tried and true. I'm, you know, if I go to, I'm not going to try a different kind of weird blizzard or anything like that. I'm going to get a Butterfinger blizzard. I'm not a foodie, all right? And then something interesting happened. As we're discussing all this, Brenda was also in the office, and she's kind of walking around nonchalantly, you know, trying to stay out of everybody's way, wishing that we'd all go home so she'd get something done as we're talking about all this. And someone said, well, what do you call people who work out? And Brenda is walking by at that exact same time, and she very calmly, nonchalantly says, stupid. <laughs> and just went off the, you know, that was it. And I love that. I said, oh, that's a good one, you know, there you go. So, you know, there's a side of Brenda that maybe you don't really know about. There you go. <laughs> a label, a word used to group people together based on a perceived or held identity. How about this word, this label, Christian? It was a label given to people following Jesus, and it's actually more than a label. At least it was more than a label when it first was given to this group of people who were following Jesus. It was a label given to people who were living life differently, and it was actually a derogatory term. It was actually given as a slur 
because you know, there was just people that were, were just doing some odd things, some strange things. It wasn't what culture and society was asking them to do. And so these other people in Antioch actually gave them this label of Christian. It was someone who was associated with Christ. And it's honestly, the word Christian only shows up three times in the New Testament. And it wasn't the Christians who gave themselves that name. It just indicated that way of life. Let me read you on Acts chapter 11, verse 25. This is where it actually started. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And when we read this, you may, you may hear the word disciples, and you, think, you immediately think of, of the, the 12 or, uh, disciples that were following Jesus, and they were included. But the disciples were anybody who was listening and following and, and, and understanding the teachings of Jesus. So there was a multitude of people. There was a lot of people who would have been called disciples at that time. And, and these were disciples who, who stuck with Jesus before the crucifixion and after the resurrection. These disciples were ones who, who actually really followed what Jesus was talking about. And these people of Antioch saw something different in them. They saw the way they loved. They saw the way they treated other people. They saw the way that they lived with each other. And, and they, they grouped them into a group of people, these Jesus people. And they said, let's just call them Christians. And it wasn't unusual at that time because there was a lot of disciples of different people. Other rabbis in the Jewish faith, as, as they were, were teaching, there were people that would follow their kind of teachings. They had different interpretations of, of what Scripture had said in the Old Testament and things, and so they had their own little people who would follow them. Even philosophers at that time, you know, non, non-religious people, these philosophers talking about life, they would also have disciples that would hang on and talk about how they were teaching, the way that they thought, and they would associate themselves with those people. But these people... These Jesus people were just different. The way they, let, they lived, the way they, they, they took care of each other, set them apart from everybody else. It was different, that label. And then we fast forward to today, and I wonder if that's the same interpretation that we have of, of that whole Christian thing. Because I think we've made this whole Christian thing very easy. We, we've, we've made becoming Christian easy, and, and there's good in that, and there's bad in that. I mean, Scripture actually says at one point, you know, that, that let's not make it difficult for those coming to Christ, and we get that. But sometimes I think that we just kind of polish that, and we just, you know, it's just this thing that we've, we've actually dumbed down this, this label Christian to the point of just some few things that we believe. You know, if you believe the right things, if you believe Jesus died on a cross, that he paid for our sins, that we're saved by faith, if we believe the right kind of things, we can label ourselves a Christian. I mean, probably most of you, all of you call yourself a Christian. I call myself a Christian. But I think we have to ask ourselves, what does that really mean? Is it just something that, that, that is a label? And, and the thing about this terminology Christian is it's very, it's very easy for us to de- define. But if you go into Scripture, if you go into the New Testament and try to define the word Christian, it's very, very difficult. It can mean so many things to us, you know? And, and for us, I think sometimes it comes down to just checking off some boxes. Not only what we believe, but some, maybe some of the things we even do. You know, we, we come to church occasionally. <laughs> we, we take communion. We, we, do bap- we baptize. We, we do a certain amount of things, and we check that all off. We're generous. We give. And, and as long as we're doing those kind of things, we build this little box, if you will, of what it means to be a Christian. And it's all in our perception of what we believe we feel that, that that works. 
And so we build this nice, convenient little box. And a lot of times what we do is we build that box so that we can know who's inside the box and who's outside the box. And we can look at people around us. We can look at our coworkers. We can look at the people down our block. And, and, and in that little box, whether they fit or not, to our own interpretation, to what we feel it takes to become a Christian, to believe, to do those kind of things. And, and I think it, a lot of times it's just for our own benefit and we shape and we mold this Jesus into what we believe. And, and I think we have to be very, very careful about that. But this term, this term Christian, can be defined so many ways. As a matter of fact, if, if we asked all of you to define it and wrote it down on paper, I think we'd have probably a hundred different descriptions of what it means to be a Christian. Some of the same, all beliefs and things, but there's some discrepancies there somewhere. And I think we've got to be, again, very, very careful. But there's this other term that we find in the New Testament, in the scriptures, that is not ambiguous, that is defined. And that is one of being a Jesus follower, a disciple of who Jesus is. Looking like and molding our lives and building our lives around the model of what Jesus actually is. See, it's very easy to label ourselves a Christian because it's not going to cost you anything. But when you label yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it is going to cost you something. Because when you put Jesus in the king of your life, you are no longer on the throne. He is. And everything changes at that point. And so to the point that even when you think about some of the interactions that Jesus had with people who would come up to him and say, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to be one of your disciples? And Jesus is almost like he was trying to chase them away. He would tell them, I have no place to stay. Do you want to actually stay? Do you want to do that? Someone would come to him and, 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 and say, you know, I, how do I have eternal life? And he'd and he tell them to give everything away. Everything. Sell everything that you've got and come follow me. And they would walk away dejected. And I think it's because Jesus looked at their heart in all these different circumstances and knew what their idols were. He knew what was holding them back from being a true disciple, something that they had to change, something they had to get out of their lives to get them off the throne and put him on it. And for many people, it was just too much to ask. But what I think we've done in our culture, in our world, and we as the Big C Church have tried to make it so easy for someone to, to become a Christian that we haven't talked to anybody about the sacrifice we haven't talked to people about what it's going to take, what it's going to really mean to follow Jesus in, a, in an amazing way. It's about living for others and not being self-centered. And Jesus came to turn this whole thing upside down. When he ushered in, he said, I'm ushering in the kingdom of God here and now. That everything is going to be different. Everything is going to be changed. Everything is going to be turned upside down. It's not going to be the way that you think about it. And there's this famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually in Matthew uh, uh, 5 through 7. And it's actually probably a, a collection of different sermons that he did, but he was on a mount talking about how it is that this new kingdom is going to operate and how radical and different it was going to be for everyone there. And, and so here's Jesus standing in front of all these, these people saying, his disciples, this throngs of people, and he's saying, this is what's going to be. You're going to need to love your enemies. And we could probably stop right there, couldn't we? Because isn't it difficult for us to think about right now loving your enemies? How about this? You know, he talks about giving away, away your stuff. 
Just, just be so generous that no one can, can believe it. Just give it all away. If they ask for a little bit, man, give them a lot. Give them more than what they expected. If someone asks you to borrow something, man, give it to them and don't even ask for a repayment. Don't even ask to get it back. Go the extra mile. Do the unexpected. Do whatever it takes for them. Turn the other cheek. Don't get even. And then he got really radical. He said something that would have been shocking to them back then because everybody would go to the temple and they would, they would bring a sacrifice to the temple so they could clear themselves of, of the sin that they, they had done. And Jesus, it was, it was all about this vertical. You'd go to the temple so that you could be right with God, that you'd have, your connection with God would, would be unhindered. And Jesus says, you know what? If you are standing in line for hours with your sacrifice, with your little lamb, with your doves, whatever you're gonna sacrifice to make yourself right with God, and all of a sudden you remember that you have something against somebody else or that you haven't forgiven somebody or somebody has wronged you, don't go to the sacrifice. Drop everything there and go make it right with them. Jesus ushered in this horizontal thing that it's not only about our vertical relationship with God, that we can't have a vertical relationship that's correct with God if there's something wrong with our relationships with everybody else. It's not only vertical, it's also horizontal of how we treat others, how we forgive others, how we, we relate to them. Leave your sacrifice there. It would have been astonishing for those people at that time because that's what it was all about. Then he said, you know, don't look at a speck in your own eye. When, when, don't look at a log in someone else's eye when there's a speck in your eye. That, that look inward. Look at where, where you are, where your relationship is before you start judging others on the outside And then he says this, he says, you've heard it said before, which was standing operating procedure. They would have known these laws and and everything inside and out. And he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you that that's not the way it's going to operate anymore, this new kingdom. You've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you, if you even talk angrily at your brother, you've already committed murder. Don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery with them. He took the bar and he set it so high. He was changing everything. He said, bless those who curse you. That was the standard. That's what this new kingdom that Jesus was ushering in, that we are a part of. And it was radical and it was disturbing and it was unbelievable for everyone listening to him. The standard operating procedure was absolutely thrown out. Something brand new was here. And Jesus, in this new kingdom, was ushering it all in. And he gets done with his Sermon on the Mount, and he walks out. In Matthew chapter 7, something amazing starts happening. Listen to this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There was something unique about the way Jesus talked about this. There was something unique about him that they realized this is different. This is, this is not like the teachings that we had with all of our other rabbis and things. There's something unique here, and he's teaching it in such a way that we want to be part of it. There's an authority here like nothing else we've ever seen, because the king is here and this new kingdom is coming. 
And it's so easy to say all these things. It's so easy to stand up here on a Sunday and talk about, about loving other people. But Jesus shows us how to do that. It just continues in Matthew chapter 8, right after this. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So as he's coming back from the Sermon on the Mount, he's got all his disciples, all these, these, these people that, that's following him. Listen to this. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And again, we read this cute little story, this little story, and, and we tie it all up. And, but, but this, again, was so radical in this time. If you had leprosy, you were an outcast. No one wanted anything to do with you. When you walked down the street, you'd have to say, unclean, unclean, and people would part from you. You had no interaction with anyone else. No one would come anywhere near you. You couldn't go buy groceries. You couldn't go anywhere. But here is this leper coming to Jesus right after he talks about loving our enemies and, and doing all this stuff. He says, will you heal me? And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Unheard of. No one would have ever dared touching someone with leprosy. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed from his leprosy. Jesus walked the walk. He just didn't talk about it. He didn't step up on a mountainside and say, this is how we're going to act. He showed us how we are going to care, and how we are going to love. And then something really amazing happens. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Can you believe it? A centurion coming to Jesus to ask for help. Doesn't mean that much to us, does it? But in this day and age, with this culture, with all these people around, still watching, the centurion comes up. And here, I don't want to bring up any bad baggage, but I want you to think just for a minute of someone who has hurt you deeply. Someone who is just flat out a terrible person. They represent everything that you hate. They have, they have hurt you so bad that you would not be sorry if you never saw them again in your life. They have cut you to the core. That is a Roman centurion. They would have been despised by the Jews. And everyone knew the, the tension that was in, in this place right now. Be, because here is this Roman centurion representing everything that they hate about Rome, the oppressors. And here this, this guy is coming up and asking for some, something. As Jesus just got done saying, do for others and go the extra mile. See, Rome was absolutely despised. They had all kinds of generals and colonels and things that would come in. One actually came in to the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. As he came into town, as they were conquering the, the Jewish nation of Israel, they go into the temple, and he actually peels back the curtain of the holies and holies to find out who this God is that they, these people worship. And he desecrates the Holy of Holies. It would have been devastating for them. Other, other generals would come in, and they would take they would capture people and they would take them back as slaves. Others came in and went back into the, same very, the very same temple and took all the gold, all the, everything that was there, they just stripped it bare. The Roman people are the ones who, the conquerors actually came in and, and started the cruci crucifying people. They were terrified of them. Any insurrection, they would put it down. These people were ruthless. They ushered in a, a time of pain for Israel like none other. 
And here they are. A centurion would have actually been part of that and taken, taken part of that. He would have actually been part of the ones that have, who inflicted suffering into the Israel nation. And here is this Roman centurion asking Jesus for a favor. And what would we do for somebody who had hurt us deeply, coming in and asking for a favor? No, I don't think so. Don't you remember this? Don't you remember how you treated me? Don't you remember how you lied? Don't you remember how you humiliated me? Don't you remember how? I don't think so. It's not going to happen today. See, it's very easy, I think, for us to help people that we don't know. You know, we see somebody that we don't have a relationship with, and we can feel like we're doing good by, by helping them out, and, and we do an amazing job of that. But when it comes down to somebody who has hurt us or hurt somebody we love, so often we want nothing to do with them. Forgive them. You know what they've done to me. Matthew 8, chapter 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. (laughs) You've caused so much suffering, and here you are. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Jesus actually offers to go to this place to heal him. It's amazing. Think about the consequences that Jesus was dealing with here. He's got all of these people around him. He could have lost the whole crowd by saying, you know what, I will go and heal the servant of yours. Even though you're a Roman centurion, they would have all not doubted and said, Jesus, it's okay, just let him go. They would have understood that, but no. He says, do you want me to actually go to him? Because, see, Jesus was there to start a new ethic, a new way of life, a new way of thinking, something so contradictory, so contrary to the way that any of us honestly want to behave. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus commends him for his faith. And my guess is all the crowd around him are looking at this Roman centurion and he doesn't fit in their nice, little, neat Christian box. And we are surrounded by people that don't fit into our nice, little Christian box, the way we have designed this thing we call Christian. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And this is the way that Jesus expects us to live. This is how Jesus expects us to love even our enemies. He wasn't kidding. And so often we leave these parts out of what we decide being a Christian actually is. Because it's a lot easier being a Christian than it is a Jesus follower, an actual disciple. It's a lot harder to be a disciple, it's a lot harder to be a Jesus follower than just having a label of, I'm a Christian. I believe these few things. 
I believe this, 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 and this. I do this, this, and this, this. And Jesus is calling us into a much deeper life. See, it's easy to love people who think like us, who live like us, who look like us, who vote like us. It's very easy to love those kind of people. That's not who Jesus is all calling us to, to only love. See, we can call ourselves a Christian because that's just what we've done. That's what we've, we've dumbed it down to, if you will. But there's a higher calling. There's a higher place that we need to be. It's about changing the inside. When we decide that we're going to be a follower of Jesus, not just a Christian, when we decide we're going to be a disciple, it changes us from the inside out. Our heart starts beating with, with God's heart. We start seeing people the way God sees them. We start seeing why he loves them, and, and we do everything we can. It changes us from the inside out. We become different people. Everything changes, and we don't get to hide behind a label of Christian. And it's not just about understanding and believing, having all this head knowledge. It's not about checking off the, the right boxes to make ourselves feel good about ourselves and that we're okay, that we're inside the box and others are on, on the outside of the box. If our heart doesn't change, we're in trouble. And we've been talking so much this year about heart change, that God wants to see a change in our heart. He wants us to see a development. He wants us to see us growing. What he really wants is to be our king. He wants us to get off the thrones of our lives and let him be the king. In some area of our lives, we are still on the throne. And Jesus is asking us, would you let me sit there and make those kind of decisions? Because, see, being a Christian is more than a label. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and we're going to take communion here in, in just a minute. But I want to read a piece of Scripture that is actually the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. On the Mount. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. <clears throat> Jesus being says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation. It had its basis on the rock, on that of Jesus. Jesus was on the throne. This wise man, this wise person, puts Jesus first in everything. It's, it's all about him. He puts the words of Jesus into practice, not just knowing them. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the steam, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Far too often, I've been the latter person. That I've heard the words, and I've made that myself feel good, and I've been able to check off the boxes and, and give myself the label of a Christian. But when it really comes down to the nitty-gritty, when, when it comes down to, to, to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus, I've fallen so, so short. And my guess is I'm not the only one listening today with that. We're going to take communion here. And, and as we take communion, I want you to ask yourself, 
Are you hiding behind the label of Christian? Is it just something that you go through the motions in, but has it changed you? Are you willing to leave the label of Christian and become a disciple, a follower of this Jesus and love the way that he loves and see the world the way he sees it? Not for our own sake, but for others. Are you willing to let Jesus be the king in every area of your life? What area of your life are you still sitting on the throne that you won't let Jesus take over? For some of you, he's telling you that right now. And you have a decision to make. Will you give it to him? The band is going to play a song, and you can come up and, and take the, get the elements and take them back to your seat. There's two different kinds of communion here. But I would just ask, as, as we're singing, as, as you're coming, would you ask yourself, am I willing to become a disciple, a true follower of Jesus? And when everybody has the elements, I'll come back up and we'll take communion together.
veil tore before you, you silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the about Jesus. He came to, to set us free. He came to give us a life, a, a, a life that means something, a life of purpose. If we would just allow him to sit on the throne of our life. That's what it's all about. That's what this sacrifice was all about, turning religion upside down, ushering in something brand new that was going to radically change the world, and still does today. And the, the way that that world is radically changed is through you and me. The way that we love. The way that we care for people. The way that we stand out because of who we follow, not just what we believe because it changes us from the inside out. That's what this sacrifice that we celebrate today is all about. Paul records it this way, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. Let's remember together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup, this cup, is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remembrance me, the new covenant. Father, we are so thankful and we are so grateful that even though we mess up and we blow it all the time, you're still there, you still love us, you still guide us, you still direct us. Father, I pray that, pray that we just won't wear the label of Christian, that we will be transformed and we will change from the inside out so that when people see us, they say, wow, there's something different about them. Help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to love people the way that you love people. And we will not only change our families, we will change our community, and we can change the world again because of who we follow. We are humbled to be in your service. It's in the amazing, powerful name of Jesus that we pray all this. Amen. Would you stand as we close today?